And we're starting a new series today, and it's entitled The Vault. And all of us, for the most part, understand what a vault is. A vault is a secure place where you put your reserves or items that you cannot afford to lose. Anything that you want to make sure stays secure, stays protected, whether it's some additional money that you have in a vault, maybe you got some jewelry in a vault, or maybe it's a family heirloom or some important legal documents, and you want to make sure that whatever happens, these things are safe and secure. We all are familiar with a vault. In fact, the most secure vault in the world is the gold vault that is located inside of Fort Knox. For those of you that are not familiar with it, Fort Knox has its own police force that is armed with machine guns at the gates, on the roof, and even inside the building. So you don't want to go inside of Fort Knox, you know, pulling a prank like you're about to hold them up, because we'll be singing songs about how you made it on over into glory to see Jesus. (laughs) Fort Knox is literally just that secure. In fact, the gold vault is so secure, even the president of the United States is not allowed inside. In fact, not one, no one person knows the entire entry combination that can get you into the gold vault at Fort Knox. And the people that have a slice, a, a, a portion of the combination, are held classified so that you can't go and kidnap four of them and put them together and go and get into the gold vault. What am I saying? That the gold vault at Fort Knox is one of the most secure places on planet Earth. But can I tell you that? That even as secure as the gold vault is, there's a much better and a much more secure place to hold your treasure. Let me read it to you. Matthew chapter 6 verse 19 says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on the earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The Bible says that when you're storing up, storing up your treasure, don't just look at natural means. Because if you store your treasure in just natural means, if you have your protected things in just a natural storehouse, there's a chance that thieves will break in and try to steal it. But there's also a chance that vermin or critters could get in and destroy whatever it is that, that you have stored there. Yesterday, as a part of our serve day, we went around and hit several different serve locations. And one of the ones we hit was over at Pine Castle. Uh, they do a tremendous job of, 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 of uh, extending the quality of life and, and ministering to adults with intellectual disabilities. And so we were there, and they got amazing facilities there, living facilities, nice basketball courts, indoors and outdoors. But they got some storage sheds in the back, and they had been storing things in here for a long time. You know how they just kind of put stuff in there. So we had our Impact Christian Academy basketball team out there, and our football team was out there. Our worship team was over at that site. And a lot of what we were doing is going in and pulling the stuff out of there so they could be rearranged. They were throwing some stuff out that just had become junk stuff. And one of the sheds they had was a big shed, and they had a bunch of you know, wood and stuff, like a wood shop in there. And uh, the guys had already gotten started pulling stuff out of there. So when I went in there, the first thing that they told me, Daryl was with me, and Daryl said, Bishop, just want you to know, there are rats in here. And if some of y'all had been with me, there would have been time that you exited out. And started calling for a, a, a substitute location. But he kind of warned us that rats, so if you move something, just know that a rat may come running off from under it. And when I looked at the back of the wall, at the bottom of the wall, there were some big holes in the bottom of the wall where the rats had kind of just chewed through the bottom of that, 
uh, shed to be able to get inside to eat stuff in there or just to have a, a, a cooler place to hang out. And there's also on the floor what used to be a possum. All was left of the possum was a head, a skull, and some leftover fur and a really bad smell. <laughs> what are you saying? I'm saying that whatever these people had stored in this shed, it became subject to the rats and to the possums and whatever else got in there. So hopefully they didn't store any good treasure in this shed. The Bible is saying don't store all your good treasure down here on earth. Because even if it's not in a shed, if you got it in the best uh, bank or the best safe in the United States, there's still a chance thieves could break in and steal. And there's still a chance, watch this, that the value it had when you put it in there, it may not be just as valuable when you go to get it back. What he's teaching us is there's a better place to store your treasure. Now, he's not saying that we shouldn't have a savings account because the Bible clearly does teach savings. Jesus had a savings. That's why he had a treasurer who took care of his, his, his savings. Judas was the treasurer. And in fact, that the Bible says in several different places, which I'll show you real quickly here a few places, where it talks about having a treasure or an inheritance. Proverbs 13, 22 says, A good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. How many know you can't leave an inheritance unless you got some savings? Deuteronomy 28, verse 8. It says, The Lord will command the blessing upon you, watch this, in your barns. One translation says, in your storehouses. But what he's talking about is that God will command his blessing on wherever that place is that you keep your extra, you keep your reserves. Another scripture in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9, if you had read verse number, verse number 10, verse 9 actually says that if you honor the Lord with your substance and the first fruits of all of your increase, then he says your barns, verse 10, will be filled with plenty. Well, most of us don't have a barn out in the backyard where we keep our excess. Most of us keep our excess in a savings account, in a retirement account, in some kind of an account. But what the Bible is saying here is that when we put God first, God promises to command his blessing on our savings account, on our IRAs, on our 401ks, on our college fund, whatever it is. And he's not preaching against saving what he's saying is, is that your most valuable investment should not be in your earthly portfolio. Amen. I need a better amen than that. Amen. What he's saying is your most valuable investments need to be safely stored in the vault called heaven. Amen. Let me read Matthew chapter 6 from the Amplified Bible, verse 20. It says, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart, your wishes, your desires, that on which your life centers will be also. Jesus gives us here two main reasons why it's smarter to make heaven our vault. Number one, he says, because earthly investments will eventually run out, but the investments in the vault called heaven will last forever. Amen. Come on, say amen if you believe that one. Second reason why he tells us is that wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. So if I want my heart to be fully connected to Jesus, if I want my heart to be rooted in heaven, if I want my heart to be fully committed to the cause of Christ, the Bible says I need to have my treasure in the same place where I want my heart to be. Come on, that means that, watch this, there's no way for my heart 
for my treasure, I should say, to be locked in down here in this earth. And everything that matters is earthly. Everything that matters is a car and a house and a boat and natural stuff. But at the same time, I say out of my mouth that my heart is connected to God. Now, the Bible says wherever your treasure is, your heart's going to be there too. Your treasure and your heart are like Siamese twins. They, 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 They conjoin twins. They cannot be separated. Wherever your treasure is, the Bible says that's where the heart is going to be as well. So for us, what that means is we got to learn how to make sure that our wealth and our worship are in the same place. And for a lot of people, when you start talking about money at church, they they get nervous and they think you're getting ready to pass a few offering buckets. You can relax. We ain't asking for nothing from you. But I do believe in this. Every year in October, we do a series like this that just helps to remind us of heaven's perspective as it pertains to money and finances and generosity. Because so many times what happens is we spend our whole lives addicted to the world's financial program. And then when the world's financial program starts to crumble, we then want to run to God to ask God to fix our problem. And I'm saying to you today that the world, if you you haven't noticed, the world's financial uh, uh, systems are in trouble. I'm not just talking about the inflation. I mean, the the stuff that we're seeing today, the world's financial systems are in trouble. So we've got to make sure we've got to participate in the world's financial system. We don't have a separate one. We got to make sure that the ability to to include and to increase our finances down here is not strictly tied to how much money our job is willing to pay us. How many know that your job is your source, is your resource, is not your source? That's about 12 of you. Let me ask you, how many know that your job is your resource, is not your source? Let me ask again, how many know that your job is a resource? It is not your source. Yeah. Let me ask again, how many know that your job is a resource? It is not your source. Yeah. Let me ask you this way. How many know that if your job closed up tomorrow, God still knows how to provide bread in the morning? Come on. And, and meat in the evening. Come on, somebody. How many know that when you get to the place where you no longer have your trust tied up in a system made by man? But your trust is tied up in the reality that God says he will supply every need in your life according to his riches and glory. All of a sudden now, you don't have to fear what's coming down the pipe because your trust is not in what man has built. Your trust is in what God has said to you. See, Jesus spent a lot of time talking to his disciples and the people he ministered to about money. In fact, if you, if you look at the, the list of parables, yes, he talked about prayer. He talked about faith and he talked about salvation and the kingdom of God. But he took about 11 out of roughly 40 or so parables that he used. And in those 11 parables, he said something having to do with money, finances, jobs, caring for people. He talked about what it takes to sustain life over and over because Jesus understood what we all understand. You can be as spiritual as you want to. You still need some money down here. I mean, you can't go to the rent office the first of the month and tell them, but I'm saved. They can actually save from what? Not save from eviction. I promise you that. <laughs> no, we got to be spiritual. But we also need to have a game plan for how to be successful in the natural down here in this world spiritually. Listen to this. Jesus was not concerned about dollars and cents. But what he was interested in is the truth that money actually tells us. See, money has a way of revealing our true priorities. You're still out there, you're going home. You hear people say all the time, like the Bible says, money is, all, is the root of all evil. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. I mean, you can commit that sin and have no money in your pocket whatsoever. 
Money is not evil. What, what money is, hear me out. Listen, money is a magnifier. Hear me out. Money is neither good nor bad. It's a medium. It's a tool. And it's a tool that magnifies whatever is already in the heart of an individual. Which means if a person is already evil, money's going to let them be evil on a bigger scale. But if a person is already good and generous and benevolent, money's going to allow them to be good and generous and benevolent on a larger scale. Say, yeah, Pastor, I was was going with you until you got there, Pastor. So I, I got a friend, and we, we were best friends since kindergarten, man. We did everything together. He came into some money, man. He changed. That money is evil, man. It made him evil. No, 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 no. The money didn't make him evil. He'd been evil. He was just too broke for you to know how evil he was. <laughs> see, the money just allowed you to see what level of evil was there? Because money is neither good nor bad. It is a magnifier of whatever is in your heart. And money, hear me out, money will showcase where your priorities are. And there's something about God is that God, he, he regularly, routinely requires us to take something I call the money test. Where he's going to allow us to see where our heart is as it relates to money in our lives. Let's take a look at two guys. I want to show you two different guys in Scripture. And they both had to take the money test. They both had to make a decision about where money stood in their lives. One of them made a decision that really took his life completely off course from where God wanted to go. The other one made a decision that set everything right, not only his life, but his family as well. Mark chapter 10 is the first guy. We don't know his name. I would tell you his name, but all the Bible tells us about him is that he was rich and he was a young ruler. Mark chapter 10, verse 17, as Jesus was setting out again, a man ran up to him. He knelt down in front of him, and he asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus asked him. Nobody's good except for one, God. He said, you know the commandments, never murder, never commit adultery, never steal, don't give false testimony, don't cheat. Honor your father and your mother. The man replied to him, Teacher, I have obeyed all of these since I was a young man. Now, how many know that Jesus had no problem calling you out if he was lying? Hmm? You remember that woman at the well he was talking to, and, and he told her, Go call your husband. She said, I don't have a husband. Jesus says, That's right. You've had five husbands, and the one you're living with right now is not your husband either. So when Jesus encountered somebody, especially in a one-on-one conversation, and they said something and he knew it was not true, he had no problem correcting him. He said to this guy, this guy said, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, honor your father and mother. He's listing out the commandments. This guy said, Master, I have obeyed all of those commandments since I was a little boy. And if he was lying, Jesus would have straightened him out and corrected him on the spot. But instead, notice what what, what the Bible says in verse 21. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Everybody say he loved him. him. Come on, everybody say he loved him. him. Then he told him this. This is what he said. He said, you're missing one thing. Come on, I mean, that's pretty good. I mean, if if, if Jesus was to call you today right now and say, Tom, come a long way, son. You're only missing one thing, one thing you need to work on. I mean, how, how many of you be okay if he said, Mary, there's only five things I still need you to work on. <laughs> Can we get honest? Most of us would be happy if he said, Shaquita, 
Just 72 more things we got to work on this year. <laughs> if I could just narrow it down to a list. But what he said is, he said, I hear what you're saying, but there's still one thing you missed. Now, he wasn't saying that he's perfect in every other way. In fact, watch this. If you keep it in context, what he said is, if you want to know how to inherit eternal life, he says, don't steal, don't kill, honor your father and mother. In other words, do all of the commandments. What his, the guy's reply was is, I've been doing all of the commandments since I was little. So when Jesus says there's one thing you're still missing, what he was really saying is, there's one commandment that you keep violating. And I can tell you what commandment it was, the very first commandment. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall have no other God before me. So Jesus can look at this guy and say, oh, yeah, you're doing good at making money. You're popular. you got lots of success. But you've allowed your success to become a God in your life. And because you've allowed your success and your wealth and your prosperity and your bank account to become the thing you trust in, I'm going to have to get you to undo what you've been doing and stop making your wealth your God so that God the Father can really become your God. So notice what he tells them to do. He says, go and sell everything you own. Give the money to the destitute or the poor. And you will have some treasure in heaven. In other words, you'll fill up the vault of heaven. Then he said, come back and follow me. Watch this. Shocked at this statement, the man went away sad because he had many possessions. Then Jesus looked around and told his disciples, he said, how hard it will be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were startled by these words. But Jesus told them again, children, how hard is it for those who trust in their wealth to get into the kingdom of God? Can I just, can I just take a pen right here and, and, and teach you a lesson that's not even in my notes today? You, know, you hear people say all the time that, well, Jesus was a poor man. Jesus was not a poor man. And how I many know he's our example? If he wasn't a poor man, you don't have to be a poor man or a woman either. And I promise you Jesus wasn't a poor man because, number one, how many people know that you don't need a treasurer if you're a poor man? Come, we had a full-time treasurer on his staff, on his team. He had, he had a group of grown men that traveled with him for three years where he paid all their expenses everywhere they went. So you don't need a treasurer to keep up with the money that's come in if you don't have any money coming in. Here's another one for you. Jesus, when he died... He had a garment on, and the Bible says that when, they took, when, the, when the, the, the soldiers took the garment off of him, they didn't, they didn't want to rip it in part in two because it was seamless. It didn't have a seam down the middle. It was an expensive garment that had no seam through the middle. So what did they do? They gambled to see who was going to get to have his, his garment. How many know if you're poor, ain't nobody gambling over your clothes? Anybody gambling over what you got if you, if, you, if you don't have any money? But if you're walking around in some nice stuff and then somebody takes it or you, you pass away, then, yeah, folks will fight over what you left behind. And I hear people saying, yeah, but the Bible, you know what the Bible says? Jesus said, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not well to lay his head. The Bible did say that, but the Bible didn't say the Son of Man can't afford anywhere to lay his head. If you go back and read the context, Jesus was trying to pass through Samaria, and the Samaritans were like, if you're not going to stay here, and you're just going to pass through, then no, go, go around us then. And what he was saying to his disciples is, look, I can afford to stay wherever I want to stay, but if you're going to roll with me, you're going to have to be willing to deal with being rejected by other people. 
people have taken that because they want to believe that Jesus is poor, and they turn that around and to make it seem like he was poor. But didn't the Bible say he became poor so we could become rich? Yeah, it didn't mean he was physically poor. He's spiritually poor. When you leave heaven to come down here and put on a dirty little earth suit to save mankind, that's becoming poor when you compare it to heaven. But let's just go with your train of thinking. Let's say Jesus did become physically poor. He said he became poor so you could be rich then. Either way you slice it, God never intended for us to take a vow of poverty. And here's here's one last one for you. His disciples weren't poor. See, rich people don't tend to hang out with poor people. His disciples weren't poor. You say, how do you know they weren't poor? Number one, when he came to Matthew, Matthew was a tax collector at the table making money. When he came to Peter, Peter was in the fishing business with his brother, and they had a fleet of ships. They were making money. Number three, when he just said to them here, how hard is it for people that are wealthy to enter into the kingdom of God? The Bible says they were startled. You know why they were startled? Because they had money. They're like, well, what you mean? I ain't going to be able to go. <laughs> if they were broke, they'd be like, that's right, Jesus, preach that thing. <laughs> what do we learn from this passage? Number one, this guy, this rich young ruler, we don't know his name, he ran and he knelt before Jesus. What does it say about him? It, it tells us, it suggests at least, that he clearly was passionate. He clearly was serious. Jesus looked at him and loved him, which confirms that Jesus knew he was serious about looking for the right answer. This young man was desperate to fill a void in his life that religion had failed to fill. Remember, he talked about how religious he was. He had kept all the commandments, but religion couldn't fill that void. He was desperate to fill a void that career success had failed to fill. He was successful in his career. He's a rich, young ruler. If there was a 30 great men in Jerusalem under the age of 30, he probably would have been listed on that list. He was successful in his career, but he still didn't fill the void. This young man was desperate to fill a void that the prosperity he had, the money he had, could not fill. What else do we know about him? Jesus invited, listen to this, listen, Jesus invited this guy to be one of his disciples. You talk about the ultimate come up. Whatever you got going on, Jesus invites you to come and be a part of his staff. You know how we read the book of Peter? And we read, the, you know, the first John, second John, third John. We could have been reading the book of whatever his name is. Instead, all we know it is that he was a rich young ruler. Why? Because when given an opportunity to pursue Jesus, to pursue the call of God for his life, to pursue the season that God was trying to take him up higher, he chose to go after making money and natural success instead of following God's purpose for his life. See, if you were to talk to him, he would have said, my heart's desire is to know God, find freedom, discover purpose so I can make a difference. And when God comes along to try to help direct him in a way for his purpose to be fulfilled, he failed the money test by choosing money instead of choosing his purpose. I'm preaching better than you saying amen. I said I'm preaching better than you are saying amen. One of the men around here and women around here that have been with us for years, Sean and Debbie Ashley, they were one of the first couples to become a part of the church. I remember when they first started coming. Uh, they, they, they walked in, and they, back then it was like 50 of us, 60 of us, and, and April and I could stand at the back door after every service and shake hands as everybody was leaving. And I remember the first day they came, and we shook their hand, and Debbie looked at us. She said, we will be back. 
And they came back. They were both executives at a well-known company here in town. I won't name what it was. Uh, I mean, you know, six-figure incomes, beautiful home in a gated community, following the purpose and plan of God, or, or no, following their career life, I should say. But as they got into impact, which is Faith Christian Center back then, the word starts stirring in their hearts, and the words start rem- reminding or teaching them that there's something bigger in life than how much money you make. And I remember a day that I came to Sean, and the Lord had dropped this in my heart and said, Sean, I believe God's instructing you to go to Bible school. When I first said it, he looked at me with cuss words in his eyes. <laughs> I think he was cussing me out internally. But he trusted me enough, and he knew I heard from God enough. And I don't, I don't believe in just prophesying over people and, and putting them into destiny, but I sensed that God was trying to do something in his life. And so he went back and prayed about it, and he had peace from God. He's supposed to go to Bible school. That meant rearranging his schedule. Back then, our Bible school was Monday through Friday, 8 to noon. So if you're going to go, you had to be committed. And so he went to Bible school. A year or so after that, Debbie sensed that God was telling her to go to Bible school. So she walked away from a multi-six-figure-plus income to go to Bible school to pursue what God was telling her to do. And what we did not know at the time, I didn't find out until after they finished Bible school. We were sitting down having breakfast with them one day after they had both finished Bible school. And we found out during the time they were in Bible school, their finances got hit so hard that they had a season where they were sitting down rolling pennies together to take to the bank to be able to put enough money together to take care of the needs of their house. I need you to hear what I'm saying. Going from being two people who are senior executives making six-figure-plus incomes to now God says, come and follow me. And for a brief season, they were in a position where financially they were strapped. Now, most people would do this in that situation. They'd be mad at God. You could you, you to tell something wrong because every time you see them, they're sour. But in their case, you never knew anything was going on. They never stop serving. Come on, somebody. <laughs> never, never, they, they're putting pennies together to get gas in the car to come here to the building to serve. Never stop serving. Never got mad at God. Never said, God, why would you let us go through this? We did this to serve you. And the net of the story is they went through that for a short season, but God turned around. They both graduated Bible school. Both are following God's purpose for their life. God dropped a business idea in their heart that they have launched, and now they, watch this, have a multi-million dollar business. Come on, somebody. Come on, that God has them. Watch this, has the two of them. Come on, somebody. God has the two of them running in. Their daughters are part of the business. Their son-in-laws are part of the business. What am I saying? God will sometimes set you up, but he's got to find out, do you love your money more than you love the purpose I have for your life? How many rich young rulers do we have sitting who had an invitation from Jesus to come and do my will, but instead decided to sit and protect their nest egg? not knowing that God will never take from you without turning around to give you better than what he had in the first place. It's like that meme you see on, on social media, you know, that, that, that kid hanging on that little tiny teddy bear when God's got a big teddy bear waiting on you. But see, all we can see many times is what's sitting in front of us. And God needs us to know, if I'm asking you to step out of the boat, I'm never taking you somewhere worse than you are right now. Even if you sail through a storm, just trust on the other side of that storm is going to be a paradise that is way better than what you were experiencing before you ever stepped into that boat. Come on, shout amen like you believe that, somebody. 
Just a few verses after Jesus said to them, store up for yourself treasure in heaven, this is what he turned around and said in Matthew 6, 24. He said, nobody can serve two masters. Either you're going to hate the one and love the other, or you're going to be devoted to the one and despise the other. Why says He said, you cannot serve both God and money. He didn't say you couldn't have both. He said you can't serve both of them. See, each of us will either worship our wealth or we will learn how to worship God with our wealth. Amen. Everybody in here right now, your wealth. And when I say wealth, you can have a very little bit and still be worshiping it. Because you're afraid it's going to run out. Every one of us in here, we're either worshiping the wealth we have Worshipping the money we have, worshiping the business God gave us, or we're using that business, using that money as a tool so we can turn around and worship God with it. Let's take a look at another, a very different guy who also had the money test plopped in front of his lap. This guy, we know his name. His name is Zacchaeus. And in Luke chapter 19, verse 1, it says, Jesus entered Jericho and he made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. Everybody shout, very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at the tree and said, Zacchaeus, he called him by name. He said, and he said, quick, come down. I need to be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down, and he took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people around were displeased. They said, he's going to be a guest of a notorious sinner. They grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord, and this is what he said. Why? Jesus didn't even ask him this. He said this on his own. He said, I'm going to give half of my wealth to the poor Lord. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, I'm going to give them back four times as much as I took from them. Jesus responded and said, salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham, for the son of man came to seek and to save those who were lost. Notice two guys, man. Both of them had a lot of money. One of them, we call him the rich young ruler. We don't know his name. The other one, we know him as Zacchaeus. What's the difference? One of them let money be a god and was willing to walk away from their purpose to stick with their money. The other one said, yeah, I got all this, but it don't mean anything to me compared to what I know I can get if I follow you. The Bible says this about Zacchaeus. He was also passionate and serious. He ran ahead of Jesus and climbed up into a tree so he could see him. You don't know very many rich people climbing up in trees. He climbed up into a tree. He was desperate to get a glimpse of Jesus. He was also desperate to fill a void in his life that success and prosperity had failed to fill. See, he had a void, but see, religion wasn't the thing that he, he, he used to try to fill that void with. See, the rich young ruler had a, a, a real religious past. He said, since I was a little boy, I've been in the temple, and I've been obeying all the commandments. He had a religious past. This guy's the case. I can't tell you the commandments I've been keeping, Lord, because I haven't been keeping any of them. He was known as a notorious sinner, but no matter how much prosperity he had, it could not fix his internal issue. See, unlike the rich young ruler, Zacchaeus, he did pass the money test. 
He renounced the love of money that had been the root of all the evil in his life. And he chose to worship God with everything he had. See, this this is what I want you to know right here. Jesus wasn't impressed with the rich young ruler's religious past, but he also wasn't offended by Zacchaeus' sinful past. All he was really concerned with is figuring out the condition of their heart. And money is the magnifying glass that reveals our heart's true condition. So right now, got a magnifying glass that's scouring the crowd. Magnifying glass is called money. And on the outside, I don't know the condition of your heart, but money will tell us all. Money will tell us whether you have trust in your stuff or you have trust in the God who gave you your stuff. Money will tell us whether you will worship it or whether you will use it to worship the Most High God. And I've learned this about God. As long as you don't let money become a God in your life, God will let you enjoy as much of it as you need to enjoy. See, I've never had God tell me, go empty out your bank account and give all your money away. And I pray on a daily basis I never have to hear those words from the Lord. <laughs> Some people want to hear that from I don't want to hear that from the Lord. So I, just what I do, I make sure everything I have is it's yours, God. Any of it you want, you can use it. If you want me to give it to this person, because I don't want to have to have him tell me to give it all away to keep it from being a God in my life. If I keep it in this right place, God won't have to put it in this right place. So lift up your hands right there where you are. Let's take a moment. Just examine your own heart. I don't know the condition of your heart, but maybe you do. Maybe you know if money is that issue that you have, man. Maybe money normally gets you riled up if they start talking about it at church because you think all that church wants is our money. No, the church is not after your money. I've said it for years, man. If you can't give with a cheerful heart, keep it. We're not going under without your gift. God was taking care of us before you got here. He'll be taking care of us after you got here. Our opportunity to worship God with our giving is a blessing to us. But just examine your heart, man. Find out. Be honest with yourself. Has money become a sticking point for you? Has money become a stumbling block for you? Have you struggled to truly give it all to God because you're so determined to be successful in the eyes of people that you won't put God first, even ahead of the things he's put in your hands? Now, if you're determined today that you'll never again let stuff even come close to being your God. I want you to lift up your hands. I want you to open up your mouth. Just give God some praise in this place. Come on, just, just let him know. It's all about you, God. Come on, just let him know with your own words. It's all about you, Lord. You're greater than that stuff. You're greater than everything you've given to me. And I never want to exchange the artificial for the genuine. I want to keep the genuine. I want to keep you first place. Last thing I want to share with you, we have nine weeks, man. Nine weeks from the day is a Sunday that we call Legacy Sunday. And if you've been around here any amount of time, you know that how we do church is probably a little different than whatever church you might have come from. We don't do several offerings in the church. Even at the end of the service, we do an offering at the end. We don't take like 30 minutes and do a whole lot. We share a couple things, may share some of what we've been doing, may share a scripture with you. In fact, since COVID, we haven't even been passing an offering bucket, man. 
We, most people do, 90% of the people do your giving online. Those that are using offering envelope, they give it on the way out the back door. We just don't harp on money. That's because we've learned if you teach people God's principle of generosity, you don't have to beat people over the head to give. People have a desire to give. They just don't want to give to some greedy church that's always asking for even more. Once a year, we ask everybody, go over and above your normal offerings. Go over and above your normal tithes and offerings. One Sunday a month, we call it Legacy Sunday. And we do our best to take the majority of the monies that come in on that Legacy Sunday and allow us to reach outside of our church, not just to come help clean up some things, come help empty a shed. We like to write some checks and be a blessing to families that are in need, help other ministries, help other organizations that may be at the end of the year struggling a little bit. And some of you remember last year, man, one of the greatest joys of my heart. Last year with our legacy monies, there was a mother who had an adult daughter who was disabled, and she had to lift her into a van every day to get her to doctor's appointment, take her everywhere else because her van wasn't uh, equipped for a wheelchair. We saw it on the news, man, and it was so good that we didn't just have to pray for her. <laughs> we vetted her a little bit to make sure it was legit, and then we wrote a check, and we bought her a van and had the wheelchair accessibility. and. We brought her out here and presented it to her. Watch this. And we didn't put a down payment on it. Come on, we paid for it in full. Didn't ask her to come and give us anything. We gave it to her and told her on the way out the door that Jesus loves you. And even though it's been tough up until now, God's got you in the palm of his hand. Think of another story, and I'll share some of these with you next month. Think of another story of a church here in town. They have been trying to renovate this little space they called their building, man. They've been trying for like two, actually three years since COVID. They've been meeting online only because they couldn't get back into their building because they couldn't renovate it. And he's one of my sons in the faith. And we had given to him already, but they got down to the last amount. And they couldn't figure out how to raise this last amount. And I kept asking him, how much is it? And he kept telling me, I said, how much is it? And he kept saying, well, we need to, I said, how much is it? He finally told me the number. I said, well, as of today, that amount is paid in full. Come on. Two Sundays ago, they had their grand opening in their new space. Come on, man. <laughs> but it's because once a year, we come together and go over and above our normal tithe and offering to give a generous one-day offering to help us bless somebody outside of our house. We don't ask you for any certain amount. We don't ask you to vow a certain amount. All we ask you is one thing. Pray and ask God to tell you what he would have you to do over your normal tithe and offering. Do not do any more than what he tells you. Do not do any less than what he tells you. And whatever we collectively bring to the table, we're going to thank God for allowing us to be blessed to be a blessing. Nine weeks from today, first Sunday in December is our Legacy Sunday. All I'm asking you to do now is start praying and let God give you direction on what he wants you to do. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed in prayer. If you're here today and you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want to ask you, ma'am or sir, will you please let me pray for you today? I'm not here to embarrass you. I know you can tell in your heart this was different today. <laughs> this is not what you've been used to when it comes to church. And everything, that, every lie that the devil's tried to tell you about church and what church people are like, and you need to stay away from that. And it's all about money. It's all about this. God is breaking all that down today because God loves you. And God sent his son Jesus to the cross to die for you. He raised him from the dead for you. And right here, right now, God's given you an opportunity to open up your heart and surrender your life to Jesus. See, now God's not mad at you because of your notorious past. 
Just like he wasn't mad as Zacchaeus, all he's wanting you to do is surrender your life to him. So right here in this moment, if you do not know Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, or let me say it another way, if you were to walk out here today and breathe your last breath, if you don't know for sure you'd go to heaven, let me pray for you. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to stand up. I'm not going to ask you to come to the front of the church. I'm not going to ask you to say anything other than whisper a prayer right there at your seat. But if you mean this prayer with all your heart, you'll be born again right there where you're sitting. So I'm going to count to three in just a moment if you're ready to surrender your life to Jesus. When I get to three, I'm going to ask you to shoot your hand up as high and as quickly as you can. And I'm saying quickly because the devil's going to try to talk you out of it. He's going to give you all the reasons why you should wait till next time. Get yourself together. But this is your moment right here. So when I get the three, be bold, be courageous, and raise your hand as high as you can. Here we go. One, two, three. Lift up the hand. Thank you, sir. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hands all over the room. Beautiful. Oh, my goodness. Yes, 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 yes. Thank you. Thank you. Another hand there. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Oh, beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. More hands. All over the room. Hands are up. Only hand we're waiting on is yours. Come on, if you didn't raise it, but you know you should have. Come on, lift it up right now. I know the enemy's battling with you, giving you all the reasons why you shouldn't, but there's something on the inside that makes you want this brand new life. Go ahead and lift up your hand if you haven't done so already. If you're online, right there at home, lift up your hand. All right, every one of you that raised your hand for prayer, I want you to whisper this prayer right there at your seat. Say, dear God in heaven, thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus to die in my place. He paid the price of my sin, but you raised him from the dead, and he's alive right now. Jesus, come into my heart now. Save me. Forgive me. Make me brand new. I surrender my life to you for the rest of my days. And according to the Bible, I am born again. Amen. Come on, Impact Church. Put your hands together.